Friends, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark 16. Second Gospel in the New Testament. Short little book. I like it. It moves along fast. Last week, for those of you that weren't here, um, we had just a very special message from Pastor Dave describing the um, betrothal of Jesus to his bride and how in that Last Supper, maybe you'll remember that he offered the cup, but it would be the one who he was proposing to, their choice, to say yes or no. But there was a promise of being secure in his love and the bride saying, yes, I'll prepare myself. And then he would go away, the groom would go away, And then he would come back and Jesus acted this out so that we would have a picture of this big plot of the Bible of a God who redeems. And so last week we drank the cup, just like the bride in the story and the Last Supper. We drank that cup, promising ourselves, promising ourselves to him to be set apart for his purposes and eagerly awaiting his return. Now, this past week, probably many of you have, like me, been thinking about from that last Sunday where Palm Sunday and Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus coming in, and then Jesus, we've sang about it, really, we've sang the whole week, Um, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, gathering around the Last Supper, and then the horrible and beautiful, one of my friends calls it the brutal story of Jesus laying down his very life for us on that cross, the agony he went through to lay his life down, the Saturday where they were waiting, grieving his disciples, lamenting, thinking about what they had witnessed, couldn't do a thing but it's Sabbath and rest and wait. And then our story picks up today in Mark 16. And so let's read together. Well, I'm going to read it. You read along. Not out loud. It'll be a mess if we try to all do that. All right. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, They saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw the young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This would end the shorter ending of Mark. And then some of your Bibles will have a note about that the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses don't have verses 9 to 20. 
And so then you might wonder, well, is this legit? Like, are verses 9 to 20 legit or not? And scholars say we should give the same respect to these verses as we do places like um, Deuteronomy 34, 5 to 12. Moses was writing Deuteronomy, but it describes his death and what happened afterwards. Somebody else picked up and finished the story, but still the canon necessity, the inspiration of scripture. All right, so now that I've explained that, let's go ahead and read those verses. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Friends, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So last week, we needed to be reminded of that wedding imagery and the promise of Jesus to his bride. And I think in the same way, the church needs to be reminded of the promise and the hope of Jesus' resurrection. I'm going to say that again because I'm really trying to make a point here. I think the church throughout time has needed to be reminded of the promise and hope of Jesus' resurrection. There's never been a generation in history that has been pain and difficult free. All right? I want you to think about world history. I want you to think about the pain and agony of the Crusades. I want you to think about the Roman Empire. I want you to think about famines and corruption that led to the um, Reformation. I want you to think about the exploration and the exploitation of new frontiers and new lands and the misuse of original people groups. Friends, I want you to think about slave labor. I want you to think about Marxism, communism, the Holocaust, genocide, economic depressions, recessions, racism, sexism, on and on it goes. No generation has been immune to the pain 
And at the root of it is sin. I'm going to go deeper. In the last few years, we've had a worldwide pandemic and had the death of many, many people. In the last few months, we've watched on television and the news as Russia has invaded Ukraine. And in the past few weeks, the city of Grand Rapids has been reeling as we've heard the stories, and maybe some of you have watched the videos, of the tragic shooting of the Congolese immigrant, Patrick Leoya, by a police officer on the southeast side. The investigation is still ongoing, and we're praying for the police. We're praying for the Leola family, and we're praying for the peace of our city. This situation has uncovered the pain of people of color and the hurts that they've suffered, and that pain rises to the surface at times like this, and we grieve that another person, a young man of color, is dead in this city. It's a loss of life, and we grieve. On Good Friday, I'm sorry, but we're going deeper and darker, because it's when we sit and look at the darkness that we recognize the beauty and the glory of resurrection. But on Good Friday, Dane and I are watching the world news, and we're watching China, and we're seeing these families screaming because the government is taking their homes because they're going to be places of quarantine, while this whole huge area is in complete lockdown, and they've got robot dogs that are patrolling the streets and drones doing surveillance above. And then we watch where the Palestinians and the Israelis are fighting on Passover. As Passover is approaching, the the tension is growing. And it happens to be just the third time in a century that Passover and Good Friday are falling on the same day. And I look at Dane and I say, maybe Jesus will come back on Sunday. Why do I say that? Because we're longing for things to be set right. We're longing for peace. It's sad. It's disorienting. It's terrible. The bad news is just awful. And yet we're not victims. Why are things so bad in the world? It's because we opened the door. Humanity did through our own sin. Original sin and our own sin. And that, that, friends, is why Jesus came. He came to fix the problem of sin, but he didn't do it in the way that the disciples expected, by going to the cross. And what happened after the cross, it also didn't meet their expectations. And so what were their expectations? They certainly didn't match what they encountered that morning. As the women are going to the grave, they're in a state of trauma, of grief and despair, as they approach the tomb, their rabbi Jesus, who they love, they've just watched be crucified. It was so rushed when he died that they had to quickly just wrap him in linen and put him in this borrowed tomb because the Sabbath was coming and they had to do it before sundown. You see, their custom was to bury on the same day that you died. And once Sabbath hit, they can't do the work. And so they're quickly getting him in the tomb. They didn't get a chance to anoint him in the way that they wanted to. 
and they anointed. They didn't embalm like the Egyptians embalmed. They anointed and put spices and all to help with the stench of a decaying body. The women were expecting to find Jesus dead in the tomb when they went. They had gotten up at daybreak to get these spices, and they're on their way to show love and honor to their rabbi teacher, Jesus. The women had no idea how they were going to move that stone away. But you see, they really weren't thinking right, and you can tell that. Like, they're on their way, and as they're going, they're saying, how are we going to move that big stone? Well, Scripture tells us it was a big stone. It actually, they said, is about one to two tons. And they roll it in a niche cut in the rock, and so it kind of goes down. Well, they said it's a major feat to just get that stone in place, but to lift up and move it. And here's the three women. Uh, How are we going to do this? They were just so distraught. All they could think of, love propelled them to go where Jesus was laid to rest. Their expectations didn't match at all what they met when they got there. The bereaved women are just going, and they're all of a sudden, what do they see? The stone is rolled away. Well, who's done this? And then there's this young man who is this. They weren't expecting a young man dressed in white to be in that tomb. It caused them great alarm. And then they expected Jesus to be dead and in that grave, and he's not there. None of their expectations were lining up with what reality was in that moment. Verse 8 says, They were trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Bewildered in the Greek means being thrown into a state of blended fear and wonder due to the importance or the novelty of an event. This was such an unusual situation that they had this mix of fear and, um, and amazement. Another way you could say it is their minds were blown. As suddenly everything they were expecting to see wasn't that way at all. It was blown by God's grace. Their encounter that day was meant to reframe their expectations. God is the active agent in Jesus' resurrection. In the original language, I kind of like this. Even though I wasn't good at it, I like that stuff. Like when you read about the Greek and the Hebrew, because they really point out that the stone was rolled away is a passive sentence. That's like saying, um, let me say this, the ball was hit to left field versus Teddy hit the ball to left field. Teddy hit the ball to left field tells you who the subject is and what they did. All right? The stone was rolled away is a passive sentence, and it raises the question, who done it or who did it, if you're using correct English. Who did it? God did it. He is so powerful, he moves the two-ton stone away. He also raised Jesus from the dead. There are these major demonstrations of power that just 
blow their minds. They don't have any frame of reference. It's like the old childhood Sunday school song, My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do for you. You remember that song? Anybody old enough to remember that? All right. This is the song. I think this is the story that just, it just begs that song to be sung really loud. If I was leading children's worship right now, we would be singing it with all the hand motions. All right. God reframes their expectations with these objective, verifiable facts. The physical stone is moved and no human being moved it. He moved it. The physical body of Jesus that was dead has been raised to life. God helps them understand, and this is God's grace too. He sends a messenger. He sends a messenger to try to explain it to the women because they don't get it. What has happened? And that messenger says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See, this was the place where he was laid. But now go tell the disciples. Tell them that he's going ahead to Galilee. He says, do not fear. Isn't that a familiar thing, that message that God tells his people all along through the Old Testament? Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. He looks at you today and he says, do not fear. He has a word of knowledge. The messenger knows things that supernaturally he would have to be told because he wouldn't know that they are looking for Jesus and they expect to find him crucified there. He tells them the gospel, the good news that Jesus is risen. And then he even helps them out because they're going to have to witness to this later. And he says, "Can you, you know how when you're really rattled you aren't thinking right? But they're going to have to be witnesses to this. And he says, look here, this was where he was laid. You see there's no body here? Because people are going to ask you, well, did you check there? Right? Think about this. Amazing. And then he says, now, he knows the disciples, and he knows that Jesus had told them that he would meet them in Galilee. And so he's relaying this message, and he says, tell Peter too. Well, how gracious is that? Because Peter denied Jesus three times. And how, how kind is it that God would send that messenger to say, tell the disciples and Peter too to go on to Galilee. Friends, sometimes you feel like you've blown it. You've messed up. God must not love me anymore. And I just want to say, he loved you just like he loved his disciple Peter. He says, tell him, meet me there. I don't know. This is just, it it touched me so much. Like, I love studying God's word. And it is so precious when you see how much grace there is in this story. When the women are so bewildered and scared that they remain in silence, they're just like in shock. And Jesus makes his presence known in verses 9 and 10. He shows up to them. And I was reading this week, how can child care workers, youth workers that have that are dealing with, you know, let's say the youth see these released videos of this shooting that happened and then they show up for child care or they come to class. What's the best way you can help somebody that's experienced or witnessed a trauma? 
And they said, stop what you're doing and be present to them. And I thought, isn't this what Jesus is doing to his disciples, to these women right here? Is that he stops what he's doing and he comes and he's present to Mary Magdalene. And then he's present to the two that were out walking in the country. And then he comes and he's present to the eleven. After, if you'll notice, after they encountered the living Lord, they were all set to go. They go out and testify. They can speak again because when we're present, when he's present to us and we encounter the living Lord, then suddenly things are set right and we've got good news to share with other people. The resurrection miracle, scripture says it Anything should be um, a witness. Two or three would be a witness and, you know, like a verifiable thing if two or three people witnessed to it. Two or three people witnessed to it, right? There was Mary Magdalene and then there was the two. This is why Jesus rebukes them. Because there were three eyewitnesses to him being risen. And he's saying, you all should have believed. There were three credible witnesses. But get this. He doesn't disqualify them. From their kingdom role. He just gently rebukes them. He says you should believe. You shouldn't be so stubborn in your unbelief. And then he sends them out to do. Restores them back into their kingdom purpose. To go and preach the gospel. Sadly sometimes we doubt. Right? Am I the only one that sometimes struggles with like. Is this what is. You know. You've got questions. He doesn't disqualify you when you wrestle with things, but he wants you to believe what is witnessed and what's true and what's written in Scripture. So he appears to the eleven, and even though they had that stubborn refusal to believe, he comes to reset their resurrection mindset. Jesus is the living Lord and King. He's all-powerful. He's a sovereign ruler over everything. And if he allowed something to happen, then it's going to be for his glory and for our good. Even what they witnessed in the trauma, even though they were responsible, their sin, our sin, my sin, took Jesus to the cross. But yet it was trauma nonetheless. But he allowed it for the good of us being able to say, your sin, it doesn't disqualify you. Believe the gift that what he did by laying down his life. Your sins are forgiven. All right. He sends them out on mission, says go and preach the gospel to all creation. And he tells them that these signs are going to accompany them. Verses 17 and 18. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it won't hurt them at all. And they'll place hands on sick people and they'll get better. When the disciples exercise their faith, remember faith is spelled R-I-S-K. When they took the risk and they stepped out in faith, they saw these signs accompanying them. They saw the signs and those signs, when you think about it, yes, it's signs for the world, But it is also signs for those that are taking the risk to know I'm on the right track. What I believe and say is true actually is true. Right? 
just like Lonnie, when you get up here and you testify a few weeks ago, you said, I prayed for him, and he said he felt warmth. And you went, hey, hey, you know, like lifted hands up, like, yes. Well, it's actually like, yes, yes, living Lord, right? That sign is accompanying those who believe and who are testifying. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the core tenet of our Christian faith. He is living Lord. He is risen King, and he's coming again. And maybe, just maybe you, like I, needed a resurrection reset. This week, sometimes my emotions kind of went up and down. Like last Sunday was so high, and then I'm thinking about like the release of these videos and what's going to happen in our city, and my emotions kind of felt like they were on a roller coaster this week. By Friday night, I'm going, it's Good Friday. What's good? What's good? There's just so much bad news, and I have to have a reset. Like, remember, what's good about this is that Jesus laid down his life so that we aren't going to be left in this mess that's just going to go from bad to worse. We've got a hope, and his kingdom breaks in, and that's the hope that we have as we await the fullness of his return, right? But I need, sometimes I just need to preach the gospel to myself. Do you need to do that? Right? And then we need to preach, what is Sunday, Resurrection Sunday about? It's about Jesus being risen, about him being overcoming death, overcoming evil, giving not only himself, him being the first fruits of the new creation, but we're going to follow him and have this resurrection and a new body someday to look forward to. Hallelujah. All right. Maybe um, you've been deep in grief over loss and violence. And I feel like the Lord just wants you to know that this death and this violence does not have the last say. Those who know Christ will follow in their own resurrection. So if you've lost a family member in the last year and this Easter is a hard holiday, Pastor Dave is with his family today. There's 18 of them having a family worship time together. They haven't been able to be together in two and a half years. They've lost two family members during this time of being separated. But they've got the hope of resurrection of Jesus to hold them through and to buoy together today. Maybe you're facing something that feels like that big two-ton stone that's keeping you from Jesus. And I just want to say, ask the Lord to help move that stone, whatever that barrier, whatever is getting in the way of your relationship of being close to Jesus, ask him to move it. Maybe you're just worn out from the last couple of years. And I feel like some of us, even though we have this faith to believe that Jesus is real and living, and yet sometimes we're just struggling and kind of isolating ourselves in fear. And I feel like the Lord's just saying, Do not be afraid. Keep taking steps of faith and ask me to help you, to give you courage. Just like I love the testimony. Thank you for being here with us this morning. A guest giving testimony of the Lord, giving her courage as she prayed for a co-worker. And the Lord gives her a word to share. Don't be afraid. Many of us, like the 11, are really sensing this eagerness to share the gospel with whoever we can but maybe you're saying i don't doubt those signs that are supposed to accompany the gospel but i just don't know a lot about them 
I don't know a lot about casting out demons, about speaking in tongues. I don't know a lot about handling snakes. Well, we're going to have EFW, but we are not going to teach snake handling. But we are going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and the signs that will accompany. We've right now got about 60 people registered. Starts Thursday night, six weeks. 19 churches are represented so far. If any of the rest of you are available, please come. It's a time for just being equipped, understanding more about these signs that would accompany us as we go out to preach the good news. I feel like the Lord wants to make very, very clear that Jesus faced the worst and he sympathizes with the depth of whatever pain or hurt that you have. And he wants to encourage us that the sin and the brokenness of the world does not have the last say. And so I want to just give you two quick stories to finish up to give your mind maybe a resurrection reset. The first one, I got an email this week from a pastor um, that is in Minnesota. He's been praying for the city of Grand Rapids because since George Floyd died, he saw some similarities in what had happened, not making any comments about fault or things like that. But he said that what he saw in his own city is that where there was pain and grief, that the demonic came in and tried to stir up people to rage and violence. And he felt like the Lord showed him and some others that they needed to pray for the peace of their city. And so black and white together, mixed races, they just quietly prayed around the area where it had become very violent And they prayed for the peace of the city. They lifted the name of Jesus. They bound demonic activity. They asked that the Lord would send his Holy Spirit. They prayed in tongues. They prayed and sang the names of the Lord, he said, just quietly, humbly doing this in their city because they love their city and they know God loves their city. Within a few months, he said that an evangelist The Lord had sent an evangelist. Some of you saw videos of this where the gospel was being preached in that same area. People were coming to Christ. People were being baptized out on the street. The church was serving the community. And there was great joy and love in a place where there had been great grief. This is the power of the gospel. And when people cooperate with what the Lord wants to do, he can start to bring that resurrection hope in the darkest of places. Second story to encourage you, Pastor Jaleesa, who you know, many of you know, is on maternity leave. She texted yesterday out of the blue and she said, I just got to share this this um, story. And she said it was a mainline news article of a miraculous healing that occurred at St. Mary Cathedral in downtown Lansing, Michigan, on March 15. Now, it's an it's a incredible story. I think we'll probably unpack it at the Empowered for Witness class. But I want to tell you a few of the details, again, because Scripture says that there are signs that are going to accompany the preaching of the gospel. And so a woman who had been in a wheelchair for 13 years... And had gotten to the point where she couldn't breathe on her own and was on a ventilator. 
She was facing another surgery at Henry Ford Hospital. And her husband took her to this worship service. Her name is Danielle, and she was attending the service. And she was so scared about what she was facing with another surgery. And she just told the Lord she was really scared. And she asked the Lord to hold her. And she said she sensed the presence of God come so that it was just like her and the Lord were in that moment. There's much more to tell you. But the living Lord touched Danielle. Somebody said, I feel like it was a word of knowledge. I feel like somebody's lungs are going to expand. And apparently she or somebody else took the trach out and she took a breath. And then she took another breath. And then they invited people, if they had sensed the Lord moving in any way, to come forward. And she got out of her wheelchair and walked down the center aisle after being in a wheelchair for 13 years. Our God is living Lord. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is the Sunday that we celebrate that we have a living God who knows us intimately, has all power, and has hope for the world. And so let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. And I pray that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you. Lord, I pray that you would show the power of your love, the strength that you have to bring hope to this world. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as the bride to do these righteous acts of speaking of you to other people and bringing hope to a world that desperately needs to know you. Jesus, you are risen Lord, and we worship you in this place on Resurrection Sunday. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.